Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 26. My name is Arvin. Joining me, as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Fooliman, we are now at the true dead point of summer. And now with the World Cup ending and Wimbledon ending today, there are officially no other sports on besides baseball. Which, I um, mean... So there are no other sports <laughs> on. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, all we can discuss is, is hockey from now on until, until training camp, except there's not that much to discuss. So... Um, yeah, this is this is these are dark times for the podcast, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, in terms of content. Actually, though, this is something that I wanted to note. Uh, this is the one year anniversary of us starting the podcast, and it yeah. probably says something about our judgment that we decided to start a hockey podcast in the middle of July, like <laughs> of all the times we could have done it. But uh, yeah, we've made it a year. Uh, our audio quality uh, has improved, I think, markedly. And, uh, well, it's hard. I mean, you can't really get worse from where we started from. Uh, yeah, I no longer sound like I'm, you know, podcasting from a submarine 20,000 miles below the surface of the water or something like that. So that's a big improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think I think uh, it's been a successful debut year of podcasting. Hopefully we can continue to do this. Yeah. So uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So I should say thank you if you've been listening to us since the beginning. Uh, you're incredible and dedicated. If you've just started listening to us now, we're only getting better. So you've uh, you haven't. But we, we, but we should know we we love you less than the people who are here from day one. Like, it, yeah, it's we're, just, we're totally playing favorites. Yeah, I know. I mean, like it's a primacy thing. You know, you love your first child more than you love their children. Um, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, there is a bit of Leafs news that we were going to discuss, which is that Andreas Janssen elected to pick up his qualifying offer, which you don't always see that often. So I guess uh, maybe I should start by saying what a qualifying offer is. Um, mm-hmm. When you're a restricted free agent, uh, I think most people understand that means that your team has a lot of rights associated to you in terms of like you can't just go off and sign with anyone you want with no consequences. But in order to have those rights, the team has to issue you what's called a qualifying offer. And it's a real contract offer that um, they propose to you. And it has specific guidelines, like the salary has to be within a certain range of what you got last year. Um, There are all these restrictions that we won't get into about, like, whether it's one year or two year or what counts. Um, But the team has to offer it to you to hold on to your rights. And so it's pretty standard if you have an RFA that you're at all interested in. You send him a qualifying offer. Often, like with William Nylander, his qualifying offer is many millions of dollars less than he's going to get um, when he signs an extension. So there's not really a prospect of the player actually signing it. But Andreas Janssen did sign his qualifying offer. He picked up uh, a one-year, two-way contract for, I believe, $785,000 in the NHL. Uh, and then it's uh, seven hundred eighty-seven thousand five hundred. Ah, uh, there we go. Um, and so it is a two-way. So if he is demoted to the AHL, which no one expects is going to happen, uh, he'll make a significantly lower salary. Yeah, our our reading of it was that he would essentially be making AHL minimum, which I believe is under six figures. Yeah, um, for a hockey so player, it's, that's it's, some change. Yeah, it's it's it could quite literally be ten percent of his salary in the NHL. Yeah. Now, Andreas Janssen would have to clear waivers to go down to the AHL at this point. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. But the fact that he would have to clear waivers means that he's probably not going down there because there's no way he would clear anyway. 
So yeah, no, you're, you're correct about that. He's uh, not waiver exempt. He would have to pass through waivers. And yeah, he, as you said, he will 100% get picked up if he goes through waivers. Um, the, the worst I could see happening this year is that he gets levoed for whatever reason. And even that seems incredibly unlikely. Yeah. Um, I try not to get too into the psychologizing of Mike Babcock, but if you pay attention to what he says and does, you can pick up some interesting things. Like, he was uh, going on about Zach Hyman very early in Zach Hyman's career, yeah. and that made an impression on me, and lo and behold, Hyman's a coach's favorite. Uh, Babcock seems to like Andreas Janssen a hell of a lot better than he's ever liked Josh Levo. So I mm. suspect Janssen is definitely in the opening night lineup and will continue to play. So in, in the sense of the two-way, he's not taking on much risk. But the, th- the thing that you have to conclude here is that the Leafs were trying to sign him for term. Um, I'm going to guess two years, because this is like the bare minimum NHL offer. Like, this is nothing uh, for a team yeah. like the Leafs. And so I suspect the Leafs were trying to lock him up at a discount uh, for a couple of seasons, and Janssen decided to bet on himself by taking the qualifying offer and going back for a new contract next year, presumably after he's finally gotten to play an NHL season, maybe put up some numbers. Um, it's a bold move for Janssen. You know, he's taking less security there, but I think for a player of his skill, it's certainly a good bet. I think he's going to do better on his next contract than he would have on this one. And for the Leafs, it's a bit of a... It's too bad because we'd really like to save some money next season on peripheral players, but there's not a whole lot you can do about it. If a guy wants to sign his qualifying offer, you can't stop him. Um, so it's not really a mistake or anything on the part of Leafs management. It's just uh, a player really wanted to bet on himself, and it probably made sense for him to do so. So that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, and I don't even think um, Janssen is really taking on much risk in betting on himself because the Leafs are incredibly stacked at the wings, but... Particularly, they're stacked on right wing, where they have um, Nylander, Marner, Connor Brown, and Kasperi Kapanen. And mm-hmm. one of Kas- uh, Kapanen and Connor Brown are going to have to play fourth-line minutes. On the left side, they really only have Marlowe and Hyman, who seem to be ticketed to riding shotgun to uh, Matthews and Tavares in some order. Mm-hmm. And then you have Janssen and Tyler Ennis. And you know maybe Tyler Ennis plays above Janssen to start, but Tyler Ennis is kind of a pretty clear fourth line guy at this point that's kind of his usage yeah he's it would be a pretty spectacular reversal of the last few years of his career if he uh, suddenly started putting up you know numbers worthy of higher usage than that i think babcock will see through that although you know ennis wouldn't be the first veteran he's played over a youngster yeah i mean that's not unheard of and in detroit that was his reputation like one of the things uh the red wings fans were kind of saying as part of their I guess grieving process about losing Mike Babcock was like, oh, actually he's, um, you know, he's a bad coach. He plays veterans over youngsters. And then Babcock came in and played, you know, six rookies. Um, the first season Austin yeah. Matthews was in the NHL. So like, we're not too concerned yeah, it, about that. It doesn't get said enough that <clears throat> Babcock has essentially trusted the most major parts of his team to very, very young players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Matthews, Marner, and Elander, of course, but he's trusted Zach Hyman with, you know, pretty prime minutes. He's trusted Connor Brown at times with pretty um, high-level minutes, more than he deserved, in my opinion. And then even on defense, um, Morgan Riley has been Babcock's kind of go-to guy in the regular season. So 
I feel like Babcock will generally play youngsters if the youngsters show that they're good enough. And I think what the Red Wings' problem was in those years is that they didn't have that many great youngsters. No. Which is understandable. They were a successful team picking in the back half of the first round for a long, long time. They didn't have the opportunity to draft in the top 10 the way the Leafs did. Yeah, I mean, so there's like a lot less pressure from below there. The other thing about Tyler Ennis, um, who we signed to a very, very cheap contract, uh, is that he's like a small offensive-minded winger. And yeah, Andreas, he's not like a Babcock prototype. Yeah, I, I mean, he, like, he's offensively focused. And so if you're putting him in a fourth-line role, he's kind of interesting in that regard because he would be winging what's probably a more offensive-minded fourth-line, or at least he kind of moves it in that direction. Andreas Janssen is actually all also a smaller offensive-minded winger, but he's much more defensively sound than his size would suggest. Um, you can use him on the penalty kill. You can do a lot of things with Andreas Janssen. And I think that that kind of utility knife skill setup that he has is going to serve him in good stead. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense for Janssen to bet on himself in this way. Uh, the only risk you were saying he's not taking on much risk, really he's not except injury risk. Like if he yeah. gets a career-ending injury or something like that, then he doesn't have a second year to fall back on. But uh, Yeah, but I, I wonder what type of deals the Leafs were kind of offering because like as you said obviously they were looking for term and probably at like a higher AAV than Janssen could argue for this year but a lower one than he will probably get next year Mm -hmm. knowing what we know now so I imagine if it was I wonder if it was something like two years and one and a half mil per year because Janssen has a reasonable shot at getting 30 to 40 points this season you know Mm -hmm. he's gonna be playing with Nazem Kadri and one of Connor Brown and Kasperi Kapanen that's not an elite offensive line by any means, but it's a pretty decent one. Yeah. I mean, they'll get opportunities, certainly. If he and ever gets Janssen to play will with... likely be on the... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Janssen will likely be on the power play as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, um, I mean, with a four-forward power play, the least power play sounds like uh, amazing, and, and it is, but like you start having to use your depth guys on the power play when you go to four forwards, right? Because there's just you can't completely stack two units with only your stars, unless you kind of go the Pittsburgh model and play one unit for one and a half minutes of the two and another for 30 seconds. Yeah, pretty much. Which is actually not something that, uh, that's not necessarily a bad idea either, right? If, if, if you want to, you can stack uh, Tavares, Matthews, uh, Kadri, and uh, Marner on one unit <laughs> and then have a second unit. It's like, okay, Willie, just shoot for 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Like that, we have that, one play, it's you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially when you've got a power play unit like Pittsburgh's, which is, I, I, I've made this comparison before, but every time I watch the Pittsburgh power play set up, it's like watching a guillotine blade go up. Like, you see yeah, it coming, and there's disgusting. so little you can do to stop it. Um, they have, they, they fit together so perfectly, it's just, it's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, there's no wrong uh, answer that with that power play. play. Everyone is good. Yeah, because it's like pick your poison, except instead of like two poisons, there's four of them. And then Patrick Hornfist, who's, you know, no slouch. Yeah, and he, like, he's the worst guy on that unit, which is just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the Leafs are probably going to balance too, or at least that's what they have done, despite having mm. maybe, you know, a power play unit that I think is in the same conversation with Pittsburgh's last year. At least it was really, really productive with JVR and Bozak. Yeah. Um, they still did play the second unit because the second unit had Matthews and Nylander on it. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think they will continue to do that. So yeah, Janssen is very probably in the top eight offensive-minded forwards. Like, I'd rather be playing him than Connor Brown, for example. So uh, yeah, I mean, he will rack up the points. If he ever gets to play with Tavares, 
Uh, I'm maybe buying in a little bit to the magic of John Tavares, but like, look at the guys that he has, you know, added 15, 20 points to over the course of a season. That could really spike his value. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, so I guess with, with Janssen, um, the, the issue now, I guess, becomes what happens next season. Mm-hmm. Because the Leafs are in, the Leafs essentially, with this deal, um, if you evaluate it against the alternative of signing Janssen to a two-year deal, at a higher AAV than what he got now, so higher AAV than 780000 or so, and a lower AAV than what he's likely going to get after he puts up 35 points and, you know, decent numbers or something like that. Mm-hmm. The Leafs are essentially saving cap room in a year where cap room is not an issue, right? And then they, they'll have to spend it next year. So this is definitely not the ideal situation for for the Leafs. Yeah. Um, that said, I, I mean, I don't see Janssen getting... A huge amount of money. I mean, he'll still be he'll still be an RFA. He'll be an RFA with arbitration rights, but still an RFA. Uh, he'll only have one NHL season of uh, track record in the NHL. Even if you know we go to what is kind of his best case reasonable scenario, and that's like forty points or so. Yeah. What's he getting? Like three mil at, at most. Yeah. Um, an amount that it's, like. And that. Yeah. That's enough that it'll force some decisions on the Leafs' part, but it's 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 a good thing if Janssen plays over what we expect him to do because that means the Leafs have another really good player on their hands. Yeah. Right. So it, it's we're not at the point where we need to be like, oh man, I hope you know we keep his contract down or like you know let's play him on the fourth line. We we don't need to go through these Machiavellian schemes. Yeah. To <laughs> Every- reduce the his next contract. Like it, it it'll potentially force some decisions on the part of the Leafs, but there are there are other players who are going to have a bigger impact, right? Like, so until, until we really know kind of what's going to happen there, and it, it seems likely that the Leafs are going to have to choose between, say, Nikita Zaitsev and Jake Gardner, or they're going to have to figure out a way to move Patrick Marleau's contract, which is going to be tough because Patrick Marleau can choose that. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't want to leave this team. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, um, yeah. so it, it's, it's kind of very much TBD. This is not ideal for the Leafs, but until we know more about their situation next year, it's hard to say exactly how it's going to affect them. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the bottom line. Uh, talking about Machiavellian schemes, there's a lot of stuff where people are saying, well, let's not play Janssen on the power play and let's play Connor Brown instead because he's locked up and we'll sort of manage our contracts. It, no, uh, like I don't think that that's a realistic way for a contending team to go at things. And I think if you came to Mike Babcock and propose that to him, he would tell you to get out of his office. Like, I know that, like, yeah. there's a sort of asset management, very rigid way of looking at that, where it makes a certain amount of sense to do it that way, but really play the best unit you see, because this is a team that is trying to win. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. If, if I have to see Connor Brown on the power play again, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be pretty annoyed. Uh, he's, I mean, the, the problem is he's, he's actively bad, at least in the role that we had to place him at, where he, mm. he was like often, he was kind of the the one the the middle guy, the one three one, yeah. right? And the amount of times I'd see like, like Matthews or Nylander uh, give him a pass and then him just like flub it, yeah, to no one. It's like, oh man, like <laughs> you that power play was struggling for a huge portion of this year, and this, a lot of this is confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. But I often saw Brown as one of the guys who were kind of throwing a wrench in the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, he, you know what? He's a, he's a good player. He has a lot of sort of utility knife skills. I mean, maybe he's not as yeah. great as his reputation. He's not a power play specialist. No. And, like, a team as deep as the Leafs can find 
someone more specialized to play over him on a unit, and I think we're going to. Yeah. Um, I mean, spe- speaking of, I guess, like, schemes on the part of fans to, like, you know, improve asset position and cap position in, in future years that may come at the expense of actually winning games, um, I know you have kind of a piece in the hopper about something relating to this. Obviously, yeah. we don't want to spoil the whole thing, but I figured we should discuss it a bit since we're, okay. we are kind of late on actual news. <laughs> this is true. Um, yeah, so I have a piece coming out tomorrow about... Uh, Jake Gardner and why trading him is almost certainly a mistake. Um, and I go into this in more detail. And it's not so much that I have some sort of hardline ideological opposition to trading Jake Gardner. Like, it's not that I can't conceive of a situation. And, like, I'm already expecting that someone in the comments is going to be like, but what if someone offers... Actually, you were the one telling me this. Someone's going to be like, what if someone offers, like, X insane package for Jake Gardner? Then yes, take it. But... Uh, the fact is, our weakest position is still defense. Jake Gardner is one of our top two defensemen. The team should be trying to contend this year. They were a top five team in results last year. Uh, you can say that they were maybe a little inflated uh, in some ways relative to, you know, their, their shot differentials were kind of middling. But they were like a pretty, I would say clearly above average team that just added the superstar center on a massive contract. And now he's, like, in the later part of still his prime. You really should be trying to capitalize now. And you should not be trading away your second-best defenseman, at worst, um, at your weakest position at a time like this. Like, there's just not a real argument for that, as far as I'm concerned. Because, really, the team should be trying to capitalize now. And so you shouldn't be dealing him for, you know... Like, I kind of did the math on this. I wouldn't trade him for two firsts. Like, the kind of team that would be giving up two first-rounders for Jake Gardner is a team that is in our position and attempting to contend. And, like, a first-round pick in the 20s, one is only about 50-50 to give you an NHL player eventually. And two, it's probably not going to happen for three or four years. And the odds of it being a player who's as good as Jake Gardner is now are pretty limited. So... There's, like, this sort of asset management thing where, like, the fear is we're going to lose him for nothing. In other words, he'll get to unrestricted free agency and just leave the way JVR just did. But I think that that neglects you're not really losing him for nothing. You're getting a year out of him, whereas if you trade him, you are not doing that. So you have to stack... A year out of him at a, at a very good contract as well, where he's very underpaid. Yeah, and that's uh, the other thing. Um the Leafs have cap space this year, and it's sort of awkward because now the question is, what are they going to do with it? And the answer may be nothing, because the free agency market is bone dry now, and anyone who is left, I am sure you can sign for $1 million, um, or like a variable amount at the high end. Uh, so it's like, there's not really a huge utility at this point um, to having a lot of cap space, unless you take on something in a trade. Um uh-huh. And you actually had an idea about this that I feel like we have to investigate in terms of how to exploit that cap space. Yeah, I mean, okay, so one thing I liked about uh, the Leafs having Thomas Plekanec, aside from the fact that he was a good player and gave them, you know, certainly a very overqualified fourth-line center, I loved 
more than anything, that he was the number one center on the Habs, and then he came here and became the fourth-line center. That, that was just delicious <laughs> to me. Terrific. So I'm like, okay, what's the logical extension of this? Well, the logical extension of this is if you get the captain of the Habs and you make him your third-line left player. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I do love to think about this. And that's why I want the Leafs to go after Max Pacioretty. Um, okay, so in terms of the cap mechanics of this, Pacioretty's contract is, is small enough that um, the Leafs can take on his contract right now and assuming they give back even something small in terms of NHL salary in that trade, like if they give up Connor Brown even, um, they would have enough room for him, enough room for Nylander, and enough room to absorb all their potential bonuses this season without having to use long-term IR. Mm-hmm. So there's no cap-related argument to not, uh, not going after Pacioretty, uh, who would purely be a rental because he definitely would be too expensive in, in future yeah. years. Uh, even if there is an issue, you could always make this deal happen a few months into the regular season, at the trade deadline, whatever. The important thing is that you get Pacioretty at some point. Yeah. Um, Pacioretty is a ridiculously good player. Uh, and, you know, I said this even when Phil Kessel was a Leaf, but he is better than Phil Kessel because he offers a lot of Phil Kessel's offense, like maybe 85 to 90% of Phil Kessel's offense, but like 100,000% of Phil Kessel's defense. <laughs> Actually, negative 100,000 to Phil Kessel's defense because Pacioretty is actually good off uh, defense. Yeah, and Phil Kessel is more of a and believer for, but non-practicing in terms of the concept of defense. Yes, exactly. I, I love Phil, but you know that, that is a very real want yeah. to his game. Um, Pacioretty consistently throughout his career has scored like a first liner, and he's done that without having really a great center next to him. You know, I, I don't believe David DeHarnay or Philip Deneau was really elevating Pacioretty's numbers to <laughs> a particularly impressive yeah. degree. Um, yeah, he, he would be just a, a very, very phenomenal player for the Leafs to add. And he would make their forward depth just hilariously, uh, hilariously deep. Because, I mean, at that point, at that point, you literally have um, three combinations of forwards, or sorry, of centers and wingers in Tavares, uh, Marner, Matthews, Nylander, and then Kadri Pacioretty that are first-line Kadri. Yeah, like we would literally be running three first lines. Like, I think that that would be fair to say. Exactly. Um, we're already close, but, like, yeah. this would really put it over the top. Um, yeah. Oh, man, it's so beautiful to contemplate. The, th- the thing about Pacioretty is that, for whatever reason, he's never seemed to kind of get the appreciation that maybe he deserves. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I see this as a hab. I don't... Yeah. As a... Talking about a hab, I don't like appreciating any Canadians player, but, like, he's really, really good. Uh yeah, and he, he, he struggled mm-hmm. last year, but, you know, unsurprisingly, it coincided with a very low shooting percentage, and his shot generation was actually pretty much exactly the same. So, I mean, I I have my doubts about whether it's actually a real decline. I think he's going to go back to scoring 30 goals this season. Yeah, and also, you know, the Habs as a group kind of just all went into the toilet last year. Like, that was just a collective collapse where they all, you know, for a while they put up good shot numbers, but nobody was scoring on that team. Um, the way that they should, except Brennan Gallagher. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he, he had uh, four 30-goal seasons consecutively. Um, you know, stellar shot numbers. Like, there's nothing not to like there. The question is, would the Habs give him to us? And the answer is probably not, but they gave us Placanets. Um So, you know, I don't think that they have an ideological opposition to trading with us. They don't seem to like Pacioretty, you know? Like, they really just seem to, like, they already have told him, you know, we're not going to negotiate an extension with you. Um, 
which was really kind of weird. And he's never seemed to be appreciated. You know, he's uh, an American Anglophone captain in Montreal, which is always kind of a tough road to hoe. Um, and he's an emotional guy. He kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. Like, he gives a lot of quotes after games where he's like, I struggled, I let the team down. Um, he takes losses hard, and he, he tells you so. Uh, which some people would kind of find admirably honest, maybe, and then some people view him as having a losing mentality. All of this is me just trying to talk myself into yeah. some sort of situation where we get him at a really good discount. <laughs> yeah, the, the, see, the problem is, I think Mark Bergevin realizes that Pacioretty is kind of his one shot at getting something decent back from his roster, because... The other people he can trade. The Habs, and I mentioned this in, a, in an article a while back, but like half their team would not be out of place on a contender. Um, a third of their team would not be out of place on like a seller dweller trying to invest in youth. And then the remaining um, one-sixth of their team should just not be in the NHL. <laughs> Harsh but fair. Um, yeah, like they have pieces, but, but you know. I, yeah, like, like Weber, I mean, he's injured right now, but Weber's still mm-hmm. very, very good. Uh, price, if he can, I mean, he, his contract is now ridiculous and probably untradeable or close to it. When, and when I say untradeable, I mean untradeable without giving yeah. up an asset. Um, but he's still a good goalie. Jeff Petrie's still a good defenseman, but he's like 32 and you're paying him $5 million. So, you know, he's not getting better. You're paying him for his value right now. The Habs don't look to be that good right now. Um, they're, they're kind of a team caught in two modes. Pacioretty's the one guy who could, you know, maybe give yeah. them a decent return. It looks like they're looking for a good young roster player and a first-round pick in return. There was apparently a deal kind of on the table with Jake Muzzin of the LA Kings and something else, I'm, I'm guessing. I think that was contingent on Pacioretty mm-hmm. re-signing in LA, and I think that kind of fell apart, so the deal fell apart. So we'll see. I mean, you know, my, my dream is that we get him for a first and Freddie oh, Fred, yeah. uh, Freddy Gauthier. Listen, they need centers. They like Francophones. Uh, He's a first-round pick. Please don't look at his stats from any of the last five years. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do I do wonder if you could sell them on like Connor Brown or yeah. someone, you know, twenty goal scorer. Yeah, I, I mean, like, it's just you've got to find something that kind of scratches the itch of a GM. And I know that like we're already we're falling into the trap of like how do we dream up a scenario where the other GM is an idiot? In our defense, Mark Bergevin yeah. has made a lot of really bad decisions. <laughs> Um, so he's, he's among the more plausible GMs to argue yeah, that like, sort of thing with. You know, it's the, the Travis Yost thing is always the best thing you can do as a GM is find all of the worst other GMs in the league and just keep calling them constantly. Um, and so Bergevin, I think would certainly be on my top five list of guys to call for this sort of thing. Um, so the question is, can you find something that he's going to fall in love with? Now the Canadians have like a bleeding need for a center. Um, that they have not at all managed to address uh, pretty consistently. Uh, I don't know if we've said this, but I'd like to just say it again. They didn't even get an interview with John Tavares. Because um, that's just funny to me that, like, they were clearly angling for him and freeing up cap space. And then they're like, why would the, you know anyone not want to come and play for our hellscape of a team where our core pieces are all aging into their mid-30s and we're going to get mad at him for being an Anglophone? Like... <laughs> It's just great to me. Yeah, people talk about Toronto as kind of a toxic market when things go bad, and it for sure it can be. But but I think Montreal oh, yeah. is tougher. Montreal, like they'll boo you if you have a because you get the added streak. And 
Yeah, and you, you get the added like, cultural um, issues that kind of arise when with a lot of their fans who seem to prefer um, French-speaking players or French-speaking yeah. management or whatever. You know what, whatever. here's the thing. I actually get it. The Canadians are a cultural institution in Quebec. They like someone who... They like a team to be, in some sense, representative of their culture. Uh, that's kind of fine to me. Like, I kind of understand that. But it means that when you make a guy like Max Pacioretty the captain, you're putting him in a really, really difficult position where the only thing that he can do to be appealing is win a Stanley Cup. And, like, if he fails to do that, or if the team fails around him, because I'll be honest, I don't think that really anything that's happened in the last five years in Montreal is Max Pacioretty's fault. Um, then, you know, he's yeah. just left being the front man to get bombarded. And now they're, they seem like they're kind of running him out of town. Um, they don't, now I, I understand why they wouldn't want to extend him. Although I think that inherent in that logic of we should be kind of tearing it down and rebuilding is you should try and find a taker for Weber and Price if you can do it. But, uh, th I mean, that would be scorched earth, right? And so they're not going to do that. But then the result mm. is here that like, they're devaluing an asset, a guy who's been pretty dedicated to their team, who is a very fine player. And it, it's kind of just, it seems to me almost like it's a consequence of not knowing their own market and then at the same time kind of playing into it. You know, if you're going to make an American Anglophone um, your captain, then you have to have an idea of how that's going to work around him. If you're going to be appealing, you have to sell free agents like John Tavares, or you have to offer them something uh, that's a role that they feel they can succeed in. Like the Habs, as you said, they're built to win now when they suck. And like, that's a brutal situation to be in. Um, so it is kind of surreal seeing how, how this could go. I don't know what the Habs would really want back. Like Kasperi Kapitan would be kind of interesting. Um He's like the classic player that Leaf fans overvalue. Like, uh, I, yeah. what's his point? He had like nine points. We've talked about this before, but like he's... He had nine points yeah, in 38 games and, or something um, like that. Namita on Twitter was like, <laughs> all Leaf fans are like, who would not give up a first-line player for nine-point winger, Kasperi Kapanen? Like, which is not fair to him, but it's like, I don't know what the worst player you can sell, you can package with the first and get Max Pacioretty is. But, like, if it's, you know, not one of our star players, I think we should certainly look at it. Yeah, I mean, the, the cost of this is that mm -hmm. it is, it's a pure rental, right? You're getting Max, Pe Max Patch ready for one yeah. season, and that is it. And, you know, it's like rentals really sound good at the time, but then you, you really feel it yeah. at the draft itself, where, like, you're like, oh, yeah, man, it, it, it is. It's just kind of glaring. I mean... It's been less of a problem in recent years, but I'm sure Leaf fans are very familiar of the agony of not having your own first-round pick. It was much worse because at one point yeah, that was super the annoying. overall pick to take Tyler Sagan. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the one thing that I would emphasize is that, like, the Leafs' first-rounder is probably going to be in the mid to late 20s. Um, ideally, it's going to be the 31st, but it's going to be a later one, and you shouldn't be valuing that in your head the same way you would a top 10 pick because it's not even close. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would shop it. Let's yeah. hope that we can somehow swindle Max Batch already. It's a bit of a pipe dream, but, you know. Uh, oh, very much so. <laughs> the thing is, we are kind of an ideal candidate to acquire him. Like, we could use a left winger. 
we have the cap space, we can pay for a rental. Yeah. So, you know, who knows? Okay, uh, so let's move on. Uh, instead of just making fun of the Habs, although we could do that for a very, very long time and, you know, trying to pilfer their one of their four good players who is not on a toxic deal. <laughs> Uh, we figured we should also talk about some other teams. There's not much going on uh, around the league right now. Teams' rosters are pretty much set, except for RFAs, like William Neander, who will get signed at some point. It's just a question of how, for how much. Um, so, at the top of the Atlantic Division this year, I think most people would say it's going to be kind of a dogfight between Tampa Bay and Toronto, and with Boston kind of there, but I think most most people, at least most Leaf fans for sure, see Boston as slightly below the Leafs mm-hmm. at this point. I'm not sure if I'd go that far, but we'll discuss that in more detail in a second. Let's talk about Tampa first. So, so, uh, Tampa is scary. Yeah. And I, actually, I read, as I say, the offseason is over without the Eric Carlson trade being done. Mm-hmm. But who, who knows what's going on with that at this point. If they get Eric Carlson, man, that is a disgusting roster. If the Bolts get Eric Carlson, I think that they are a near prohibitive Stanley Cup favorite. Like in this league of parity, there's so much balance. There's certainly a good chance they could lose, but they will be head and shoulders above even the second best team in the NHL. Yeah, it's, it'd be pretty preposterous. It's as close to a super team as you can get in the modern NHL. Yeah, like their top four is going to consist of two Norris winners and then two other top pair defensemen. And then they're going to have two heart-caliber forwards um, on their first line, usually, in Stamkos and Kucherov. They'll have, like, a million good supporting pieces in JT Miller, Andre Palat, um, Tyler Johnson. Uh, they have Braden Point, who is, like, the living rebuttal to you have to be big to play center, effectively, in the NHL. Um, and he's yeah. really, really good. I mean, we would beat them at third line, uh, you know, with our third line versus their third line. And everywhere else, I think they would cover us clean. So, Yeah, and maybe they have to give up Point or Sergachev in that deal. Yeah. But it'll be one of them and not both. And it might not even be one of them. Um, because, you know, Pierre Dorian does not seem like the most competent negotiator. And he also has very little leverage. Yeah, I think that he's kind of so, out of creek. And if he doesn't get um, either Sergachev or Point out of Tampa or uh, Miro Heiskanen out of Dallas, who are the other proposed suitor... Like, that's devastating for them as a franchise. Oh, yeah. Anyway. It's pretty, it's pretty awful. We'll get into <laughs> we'll that. We'll get into um, that in a little bit. But yeah, so Tampa, if they get Carlson, are monstrous. Even without Carlson, though, they're really, really good. I think that Tampa is pretty unequivocally the best roster in the NHL right now. Yeah. Although, one, okay, one, I want to backtrack slightly. There's been some kind of, like, well actualing about Eric Carlson. Mm-hmm. About, like, you know, he... like. Tyler Dello had a piece that was essentially, it was more measured than this. And, you know, it, it it's Dello, so it's not laughable by any means. Yeah. Um, but the, the crux of the article was, you know, I'm not sure t- Tampa Bay, or I'm not sure Carlson can help Tampa Bay as much as other people uh, think they do, think he can. And a lot of what it comes down to at the end of the day is Carlson has had a low on a save percentage for a few years. Mm-hmm. But, and that's, that's kind of it. Um, now, maybe there is something systemic that is, or something endemic to his gameplay that is resulting in that. But given that we have so little evidence, in the absence of actual evidence of that, besides like rumors like, oh, I heard his 
you know, slot passes allowed per 60 is really, really high. Like, until we, have, until we actually see evidence of that, I'm not really going to put a ton of stock into it. Um, he still clearly drives goals for percentage for his team. And uh, again, this should be noted. Who is the best partner that Eric Carlson has had in the last four or five years? Is it Mark Mathot? I honestly think it is Mark Mathot. And like, yeah, that's Mark damning. Mathot's like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's okay. He's a decent defenseman. He, he's not a guy who you're like proud to put next to the best defenseman since Lidstrom yeah. and say, oh yeah, this, these are our shutdown guy or these are our, this is our top pair. Your top pair is Eric Carlson and a friend at that point. <laughs> right? Like, so I, I think you have to account for that as well. Carlson's been, and Ottawa as a team has not been that talent rich anyways. It's, it's like, you know, you can get to the argument that, oh, Carlson's kind of, and defensemen who get points in general kind of cannibalize offense from forwards. Well, who's Carlson cannibalizing offense from? Ryan Dezingle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he's, um, you know, the straw that throws the drink in Ottawa and has been yeah. for a long time. If they deal him, they are, I'm comfortable saying this, immediately going to have the worst defense in the NHL. Like, their best defenseman is going to be like, what, Thomas Chabot or Cody Ceci? Like, Chabot yeah. has the potential to be something. Cody, Cody Ceci is inexplicably still, like, their favorite player. But he gets destroyed in tough minutes day in, day out. And the thing is, is, like, you can talk all you want about his supposed defensive talent. At the least, you've got to find someone to push him down and they have nobody anymore. Um, yeah. I, it, it's, it's baffling to me. I mean, you know, sometimes a spade is just a spade. I, I think people trying to poke holes in Eric Carlson as a defenseman are, you know, I, look, it's a reasonable concern to be like, I'm not sure I want to spend $11 million on a 28-year-old defenseman who has, like, a bionic ankle at this point. Yeah. That 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 I understand, because that's, a, you know, you can get into arguments about are defensemen just less valuable than forwards, right? And it, there, I think there's an actual argument for that, but if you accept that um, forwards seem to have more control of their on-ice shooting percentage than defensemen have over their on-ice save percentage, and if, if you assume they kind of have equal control over being able to push play in terms of Corsi for and Corsi against that makes forwards a better bet. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I, I think just the... With how destructive Carlson is as an offensive presence and how solid enough he is defensively where he's been a pretty good shot suppressor for, for some time now, even even though he... You know, Dado described it as kind of he's been in a multi-year trough of on-ice save percentage. And, and the analogy that I always think of is and I think Warren Buffett came up with this, where, you know, if you had a bracket for every, like, American or every Canadian, um, where, you know, two people were matched up and they flip a coin, mm -hmm. right? Whoever calls it, they go on to the next round. You just do that forever until you get to one winner. The winner gets a billion dollars or something. Yeah. Like, by the time you've done five rounds, that means, you know, there's a certain amount of people who have guessed all five coin flips correctly. That doesn't mean they're, you know, they're oracles at predicting coin flips. It means, you know, these things can happen. That happens. Predicting five coin flips correctly is a one out of 32 thing. It's not that rare. Exactly. And if you, if you have enough samples, um, sooner or later it's going to happen. And it doesn't take that and it's not like Ottawa has had it's not like Ottawa has had tremendous goaltending over that stretch anyways. No, they've had like intermittent like off-year Craig Anderson where he has this weird yeah. thing that he just alternates good years and bad years. Uh, beyond that, you know, they had the Hamburglar riding the craziest hot streak you've ever seen for 20 games. And really, that's kind of been the size of it. Like they've been... At times, they've had abjectly poor goaltending. I mean, the question with Eric Carlson is, you know, it's the kind of result, on I say, uh, say percentage, is the kind of thing that we just naturally assume is not in control of a defenseman. And Dello is pointing and saying, gee, this has been going on a long time. Isn't that interesting? Um, 
it is know. interesting and it's worth noting and going into more detail on but until i see more substantive evidence that hey eric carlson is causing this mm-hmm. then my temptation is okay stuff happens yeah and dello has even said he's like look he's 5v5 the best offensive defenseman in the league um even so you know acknowledging that it's like okay <laughs> um at best it's like there's something that has like the outlines of being a blemish on the play of a guy who's almost certainly the best defenseman in the NHL. And, you know, he doesn't fit the mold of a typical defenseman and that bothers people. And I, you know, I grant that. Do you want to win hockey games or not? And so if you do, you should acquire Eric Carlson. Um, If the Bolts somehow get him, that's ridiculous. I mean, the Bolts were in on John Tavares too, which is another absurd thing. Um, Yeah. And Steve Eiserman just keeps, you know, getting... Good contracts. He got uh, Nikita Kucherov signed to what I think is a somewhat below market deal. It's not cheap. 9.5 isn't cheap. But uh, that extension, I think, is going to serve them in good stead. There's no reason that they shouldn't be consistently very competitive for the next four or five years. Um, Yeah. So that's even without Eric Carlson. So, I mean, that's what terrifies me as a Leaf fan, is that we have a credible claim now to being the second best team in the league. Or at least we're kind of in a tier with Nashville and Winnipeg and maybe Pittsburgh. Um, but we share a division with the best team in the league. And so I'm a little bit scared of what happened to Washington for about a decade where they were one of the best two teams. And then they ran into the Penguins every year in the second round and got killed. Um, mm-hmm. It is a bit daunting to think that we're going to have to go through Tampa to get anywhere. But, you know, that's the road you have to take to a championship. Um, yeah, and and that's discounting Boston. I'm not so sure that we should do that just yet. Um, Boston had a pretty quiet offseason, mm-hmm. actually. They signed John Moore, who is, I don't blame anyone who doesn't know him, but he was a defenseman on the New Jersey Devils. Um, they signed him to a five-year deal. He, he's not a great defenseman. Um, and the AV is low. It, it, that's a deal that probably isn't great in four years but mm. for now he's like confident i suppose um other than that they lost both riley nash and rick nash and they're getting a full year out of ryan donato and they're essentially the same roster so their roster itself is not terribly impressive aside from that you know really destructive first nine and then krug mcavoy and whatever remains of zidane otara yeah i mean it was until the but, league starts calling him for interference is going to be effective <laughs> yeah exactly um but this is still the team that generally outplayed the Leafs in round one, mm-hmm. who were one of the best Corsi teams in the league, maybe the best Corsi team in the league, uh, who seemed to have kind of a, a decent young crop of youngsters who are good enough. They're not like the Leafs crop where they're going to be superstars, but they're good enough to be supporting roles or supporting players around uh, the Bruins stars. I don't think we should write them off yet. I think they're still a good team. Yeah, I, like I favor the Leafs slightly if it comes to a series against them now. Um, but they are really scary. Uh, th- that top line still, I don't think, has an equal in the NHL with uh, Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, and David Pasternak. I do think that they have some depth concerns at forward. They're not as terrible, maybe, as um, they could be. But like they are... They're shallower than we are, for sure. And so they might have yeah, some incentive. Yeah, but I mean, every, yeah. just about every team is shallower than we are. That's true. We have the deepest forward lineup now. Woo! 
But um, yeah, so I, I think they are intimidating. And, you know, we're going to get Boston or Tampa in round one, probably, unless we win the division, which, again, I wouldn't count or, on. Um, or Florida. I th- you know, what? Mm. I think Florida has, has a shot. Um, I I kind of like Florida's I like Florida's roster. I like their forwards a lot, actually. Well, I, I like the forwards that I've heard of on their team. <laughs> I guess is a more accurate way to put it. Um, and once again, we should say, uh, Dalletown completely screwed up getting that team a playoff spot because th- that team has superstars. Mm-hmm. They have Barkov, they have Huberto, they have Trocek. Those are all those are three first line caliber players. They have Dodonov, who is also. A phenomenal, really, really good player. He does not get enough hype as yeah. one of the best wingers in the league, which I think he is. His numbers last year are spectacular. Yeah, he, he came over um, with uh, Shapachev, and you know everyone remembers the saga of uh, Shapachev kind of flaming out in Vegas and then not reporting the AHL and then just leaving and going home. And Donov, who was kind of paired with him in off-season discussions, went to Florida, had a great year that nobody noticed, and is now kind of toiling away on a really, really, really good line. Um, yeah. But that's the peril of being the Florida Panthers, I guess, is that no one knows who you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, that team, if they had Riley Smith, Jonathan Marchessault, and Jason Demers. Oh, my God. That's, that's, a, that's a playoff. That's not just a playoff team. That, is, that could have pushed the Leafs for third in the division. Easy. Um, Easy. Like, they would scare, if they still had those guys, they would scare me more than Boston does easily. Um, yeah. They did add and, Mike and- Hoffman, who, you know, I don't, like, I'm not going to make light, obviously, of you know, the accusations against his, uh, his girlfriend, which are quite disturbing. And it's hard to know what to make of those on the ice. I I'm going to acknowledge that he's like a really effective goal scoring player. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know. Like you, you don't want to discount it. And at the same time, I don't want to speculate other than to acknowledge that, that there's stuff there that would concern me, but putting that aside, there is a potential there for them to finally have, a very good second line to back up their very good first line. Yeah, cause their, their second line, it felt like a lot of the time was like kind of just Trocek and whoever was left on that roster. Yeah. Um, now they have a running mate for Trocek, so th- their top six is even better. The problem with them is I still don't really believe in their bottom six or their defense. No. Aaron Ekblad, I think for a long time, has had a reputation that maybe... Well, let's say his reputation might have been justified at one point. He was coming up exceptional player status in the CHL... Uh, first overall pick, had a very nice uh, rookie year playing with Brian Campbell. And then it's like the results haven't been there to the level of like yeah. a stud defenseman. He's fine, but he's not. He's, he's a good player. He's a good player, uh, and anyone would be happy to have him. But he's not especially cheap, and that's more of a pronounced problem with a budget team like Florida. And they're relying on him to be the guy. Um along with uh, Keith Yandel, who's kind of a weird, super offensive defenseman. Like he's, and Yandel's getting older, too. He's, he's 31 now. Yeah. He's farther away from his prime every year, you'd think. And they locked up... Uh, Ek- well, I mean, Ekblad, you know, the term contract is going to take him through his 20s, although his, his health yeah. hasn't been stolen. But Yandel, like, that contract goes until he's, like, what, 36? So... I think so. Yeah. And then they have Michael Matheson, who, like, I, I would be lying if I said I know anything about Michael Matheson. But I, just, I remember him getting walked by Mitch Marner uh, on that break wiggle in his rookie year. So, that's, I mean, that's all I remember, though. He's bad. So, um, <laughs> I mean, good defensemen have been walked by Mitch Marner before, that's true. so it's not... I mean, and then he owned um, uh, James Reimer, who, you know, is still forever in our hearts as a good goalie. But uh, Yeah, I think their goaltending situation... Saw, I mean, between Reimer and Luongo, I think you're, you're about as inured to a randomly bad goaltending year as you could possibly be. 
Yeah, well, like one of them is going to get it together. Um, exactly. So yeah, like there's a lot to like about that team. It's I think they, they they can push for a wild card spot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I like them better than a lot of the Metro, uh, which I think is kind of quietly flagging. Like, uh, I mean, this is a very quick survey of the Metro, but uh, Pittsburgh is good, but getting older. Washington, ditto. Uh, Carolina, if they get the goaltending. Columbus, I wonder if they're going to have to trade Panarin or Bobrovsky. And then the Devils, I think, were way too reliant on Taylor Hall. Um, Philadelphia is always interesting, but I thought they would be better than they were last year, too. And then the two New York teams are going to be garbage. So it's like, yeah, I like, I think the Metro has a lot of teams that you can talk yourself into. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it has fewer juggernauts than the Atlantic. Yeah. I mean, last year it was, um, like, like there were three teams that would have been, I don't know if this was true at the end, but for a period, it was like the Leafs, the Bolts and the Bruins would all have been first in the Metro, uh, based on yeah, the total. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know... And everyone else in the division would have been, like, last or close to it in the Metro. Yeah. Yeah. we were So we're, like, a, a kind of a top-heavy division, and Florida is the it one got, team... It got world. ruined. Yeah, it got ruined when Florida kind of made their run, because they, they were in the basement for a long time, then they kind of kicked it into high gear a little too late, as it turned out. Yeah, I was, like, scared that they were going to, like... That we were going to simultaneously implode, and that Florida was going to take a spot from us. Because that I mean, was... That was, like, the only kind of storyline in the last half of the season... Regarding the standings for the Leafs, right? Yeah. And even then, it seemed it was super, super low probability. Yeah, it, it was like we had a fifteen point lead, and like it would narrow to like twelve points, and we would be like, ah, it's gonna happen again. But uh, the reality is, is that it was never especially close. It was just that was the only scenario where anyone was going to bump us out of the third divisional seed. So yeah, yeah. But Florida is, you know, something to uh, to keep an eye on. I still think, I, I think, you know, you would agree. The odds are the standings go. Tampa Bay, Toronto, Boston, maybe Florida in the wild card. Um, and then that's it. I don't see a playoff team the rest of the way down. Yeah, I mean, with the caveat that the NHL is so high variant. I mean, if, if Carey Price puts up a 9.33, yeah. yeah, Montreal can make the playoffs. And he's done right? it. I know. mean, <laughs> is their roster that much worse than it was two years ago? And they won the division that year, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is if you get a really, really hot goaltending season, that's the trump card. That beats everything. Um, but they don't have enough at center. I think uh, Galchenyuk for Domi well, on the Habs is a lateral move. So it's, yeah. you know. And then Weber's gone for the, like, until December <laughs> or January. And they are presumably going to trade Patsy already. So if that happens, then yeah, they yeah. are definitely a worse roster. Um, yeah. And then yeah, the rest of the, You know what? Let's actually just... Let's talk about, I guess, the teams that we find interesting in the Atlantic. Yeah. From now on. You know what? Actually, we've been putting it off. Let's just make fun of Ottawa. Okay. Let, let, let's get rid of this pretense that we're going to talk about. Like, I don't want to suffer through 10 minutes of like pretending to care about Detroit to get to 10 minutes of laughing at Ottawa. Let's just go to 10 minutes of laughing at Ottawa. Okay. So the Ottawa Senators, I kind of noticed this like maybe six months ago. Uh, this was when they were in the beginning of like their real tailspin. Um, the Ottawa Senators are currently trying to trade Eric Carlson by all accounts. And like that relationship seems like a shot. Um, I don't think that they want to get into the Tavares situation where their best player really in the history of their franchise for the Isles, it was the best player in the last 30 years of their franchise, uh, walks for nothing. So they are probably going to trade him. If you're trading Carlson from a team that was already garbage, 
you're presumably going to be terrible again, so you might as well trade Matt to Shane, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent, um, and who I would be surprised if you wanted to resign with this, you know, fucking shit show, <laughs> if you'll pardon my language. Uh, and then Mark Stone has filed for arbitration. He's 26, so the arbitration award can only be a one-year contract, uh, followed by him going UFA. Now, he could still extend... But the result would be, if he's going to go UFA at the end of it, he has to decide whether he wants to be part of, again, this fucking shit show, uh, for an extended period. And I wouldn't. Um, I can't speak to him personally. Maybe he's very happy where he is. And Oliver ekman Larson did extend with Arizona in defiance of logic. But if they lose Carlson, DeShane, and Stone in the next year, they could have, quite plausibly, the worst forward group in the NHL the worst defense group in the NHL, the worst attendance in the NHL, or close to it, the worst ownership in the NHL. And after that happened, they could watch as they won the draft lottery and Colorado got to take the pick um, to pick Jack, uh, Jack Hughes, who's probably a franchise player. I don't know that I've ever known a team that is this close to like perfect oblivion, where there is not a single thing that is working right. It's just yeah, it's unbelievable to it's me. It's pretty spectacular. Like they're close to having and, like Pajot and Smith as their best forwards. Like that's and by the way, their their owner is like their owner would be rejected from a Disney script as being you know too too one note as a cartoonish villain character. I'm borrowing a, a joke that I saw on Twitter about Donald Trump, but Eugene Melnick is the villain in a movie where the hero is a dog. Like that's exactly <laughs> like he's just like this. And the thing is, is that he doesn't even have, like, the rich man's virtue of being rich. Because he's somehow, like, he's the brokest rich man on the planet. So he has, like, all of the vices of wealth and not even the one virtue, which would be that he can spend on a team. And so you keep seeing echoes of this throughout the lineup. Like, the Mike Hoffman thing, again, they were over a barrel with that. I understand they had to make a trade. Uh, I don't think that they really did anything appropriate to address the situation. But they flipped him to San Jose for Mikel Bodker, and then San Jose flipped him to Florida immediately. And so got the, a better return. Yeah, got a better return for him. And so Mikel Bodker was a bad contract uh, because Mikel Bodker is like one of those guys who has all of the skating speed in the world and then puts up the most empty calorie point numbers you've ever seen. Like his defensive stats are gross. Um, but Mikel Bodker has a cap hit of $4 million and a real salary for the next two years of $3 million. And if you are, again, the brokest rich man in the face of the planet, you can see why that would be appealing because you can reach the salary cap floor, which the Sens keep flirting with, uh, without paying out the full dollar amount of the salary cap floor. Um, Arizona kind of operates on this principle, like they just took Marion Hosa for the same reason. But now Ottawa is doing it. And unlike Arizona, like they're losing a comparison to Arizona that I'm making now, just as an aside, which is crazy. Unlike Arizona... The Sens have almost nothing coming. They have Brady Kachuk, who I think is interesting. He's going to be annoying to play against, but, like, you don't build a team on uh, Brady Kachuk. And then they have... Every, every scouting report that I saw on Brady Kachuk was, like, he probably doesn't have first-line upside. Yeah. <laughs> Good. And they held on to the fourth overall pick to take him, which means they forfeited their pick next year when they were already likely to be, on paper, the worst team in the NHL. And now it seems like certain. Like, that defense is going to be awful. 
without Eric Carlson. Like, it's Mark Borowicki, Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman is fine, I guess. Christian Wolenin. I could have made that name up. No one would know. Uh, Thomas Chabot, who is, like, an interesting prospect who every Sense fan has told me is going to be as good as Carlson. Oh, honey, no. And Cody Cece, who is famous for being one of those guys who's supposedly defensive because he gets played in hard minutes and then loses in them really bad. Like, it's just unimaginable to me that, like, a team has reached this point. And this is putting aside all of their financial stuff. Like, they just refinanced their debt. Uh, by all accounts, they're indebted to the hilt. Like, they actually released... We haven't one... even mentioned the allegations against their assistant GM. Oh, my God. And, like, that's another ugly thing. Like, And, that, again, that's not, like, in the realm of mocking. But, like, yeah. they've handled that... They haven't handled it Quite well. questionably, um, the allegations against Randy Lee. So it's, like, there's nothing... That's working now at all. Uh, and, you know, we're kind of experts in franchise dysfunction because we cheered for the Leafs in some pretty bad times. I mean, they're better than the 80s when we were owned by Harold Ballard, who is, you know, the Antichrist. But even then, like, there's... Like, can you imagine trying to convince someone to be a Sens fan right now? Like, you're going door-to-door like a Jehovah's Witness and trying to make the case for being a fan of the Ottawa Senators. It's like, we're bad... We're getting worse. We don't have our first overall pick, so we can't improve through the draft. We don't have a willingness to spend any money, so we can't improve through free agency. RGM has shown a penchant for getting crushed in trades, so we don't have a way of improving through trades, likely. Um, especially if we lose the Carlson trade. Like, that's the, you know, the best bullet they've got left in the gun. And, you know, we're indebted to the hilt, so we may or may not be relocated to Quebec in the next five years. I just, I've never seen a franchise this much in tatters as the Ottawa Senators yeah. are right now. I wish I didn't find it as funny as I did. No, who am I kidding? <laughs> it actually, it brings me great joy. Going back to the, the Hoffman trade for, for Bodker, like, mm. there, there's kind of two alternatives there. there mm. One is that, as you said, the Sens just, they wanted Bodker's cap hit. Um, I think the package that the Panthers gave the Sharks had no cap hit at all. It was just picks, right? Or picks and, like, basically prospects of... No repute. I, I think um, they came out with a, a second and a fourth, but let me look that up. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, was, it was just picks, so there's no sour going the other way. So maybe the Sens wanted that. The other alternative is that they thought Mikhail Bodker was a good player who could help them. Mm. And then that's equally scary. Yeah. Because, <laughs> A, Mikhail Bodker cannot help you, really. He's an empty calories player. He, he's a guy, right? But, I mean, if why, you're going to suck. You don't have your pick anyways. Like, why even bother playing a guy? Why not figure out what you have with anyone in the, in the minors? Why does it matter? Um, so, yeah, e- either way, it's like kind of upsetting if you're a Sens fan because either they value this player who clearly should not have really any value to them or they're just being very cheap or it's both. Yeah, I mean... Well, and then that's probably the worst. Yeah, it's like it's very possible that it's a combination of those. And, you know, I see the, the thinking maybe is that, like, someone has to... Uh, you know, for the franchise to make any money, uh, someone has to put butts in seats, right? Like, someone has to be the person you're going to it's see. Is Bodker selling tickets? Exactly. Like, who's like, you know what, I'm going to, you know, take a night to go and enjoy the Mikel Bodker experience, where he puts up his 37 points a year and finishes, you know, like, with a 46% course or something like that. Like, it's not a star player. And the thing no, is, is that I think if Melnick had come at this from a different angle... He could have said, okay, our team isn't functioning the way that it is. Um, We tried, we lost, we're a bad team. 
I can acknowledge that. We're going to do a rebuild. We're going to focus on playing the kids. We're going to put an emphasis on draft picks and stuff. And you could easily um, make a case for having like, you know, a $58 million team or whatever it's going to be filled with youngsters who have lots of potential. And I think that that would be more saleable to fans than what they've kind of done. Um, I mean, I think their attendance is going to suck anyways, I, just because te- like a, a lot of markets don't turn out for bad teams. Mm-hmm. But and I, I don't think whether they say, hey, we're tanking and we're, we're rebuilding versus just doing what they're doing now is, I don't think that makes a difference to their bottom line that much. But I think it does them a world of good in terms of like PR with fans and, you know, making them feel as if the ownership has a vision and that there's actually, you know, a concrete plan that's being laid out. You look at what the Rangers are doing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it's different because I'm guessing MSG still comes pretty close to selling out just because it's New York. Um, but they, they told their fans, hey, we are, going, we are going to do this. And the team is not going to be good for a little bit, but we have a plan. And they're generally following through on it. And the Rangers fans who I talked to seem to be pretty happy with the direction of the, the club right now. Whereas with Ottawa, it just seems like there's there's no direction at all. No. They're, they're trying to be good, but they're clearly not. And they're making these cap saving, or sorry, these cash saving moves, not even cap saving moves, cash saving, because their owner is, is too poor. But then that flies in the face of them trying to be good. And then the owner's antagonizing the, the fans of the team saying, you know what, our fans need to support us, even though we're not really giving them anything worthy of support. Um, the owner, the arena situation is still a mess where it's super far out of the city and that obviously poses a problem for people wanting to go to games. It's another obstacle and when, when the team is particularly crappy, it's even more of an obstacle because there, you know, any activation energy to go watch hockey that bad is, <laughs> is pretty detrimental. It's, as you said, it's about as bad as it can be at this point, you know, and <laughs> it's, it's really hard to see a bright side for the Sens or, or their fans right now. You know, they're about to watch the best player ever probably traded, prob- you know, depending on what you get back for them, Un- unless you get back like Point or Sergachev exactly. or, or, and I or think, Heiskanen. I think Dorian is at least aware that he has to do something like that. But if Eric Carlson says, I'm only willing to extend with these two, and then I've heard mm-hmm. some, like possibly also Vegas, these two or three teams, and then these teams like, okay, we know we're in the hunt. They can play chicken with each other and just say, you know what? We'll wait it out because Pierre yeah, Dorian and, is and not if, an intimidating deal maker by any means. And what if Carlson says, you know, what? I'm not going to extend. I'm not going to agree to extend anywhere. I want to make sure, you know, my my wife is happy there, that my family's happy there, that, I, you know, I can see myself having a life there and that will require at least a couple months of being in that place. Mm-hmm. And quite reasonably, you know, Steve Eiserman and... Jim Nill will be like, well, I'm not giving up my star prospect, or I'm not giving up a 60-point center in Braden Point for a guy who could be a rental. Yeah, exactly. And I'll try my... Like, we have a good team anyways. And then you get nothing, and then Carlson probably leaves in a year. That's the thing. And you can say, okay, they're kind of over a barrel with that, except they were shopping Eric Carlson at the deadline. They bailed out for whatever reason. They apparently wanted Cody Glass in a package with Vegas. We don't know what the details were. One, they were hamstringing themselves in trying to deal Carlson because they were tying him to Bobby Ryan's contract, which is a grotesque overpay. Uh, It's got four years left on it at a 7.25 cap hit. Um, Like, that is really damaging for the franchise to have to include 
uh, Ryan in order to insist on that being part of the Carlson trade because that lowers the return. Um, it doesn't actually benefit the team that much because they're not going to spend to the cap anytime in the foreseeable future. But again, Bobby Ryan makes slightly more real money than his cap hit in the last few, deal few years of the deal. So it seems pretty clear that this was all contrived to save Eugene Melnick money and hurt the team in the process. And then they had these series of town hall meetings where Dorian and Melnick went out and met with Suns fans. And they were a disaster, as you might expect. But someone asked uh, Pierre Dorian, will you trade Eric Carlson at the draft? And Dorian said, no, we're going to make an offer to him on July 1st. Um, I guess the idea was to be like, no, we want to look like we tried. And so they didn't trade him at the draft. I have no idea what they passed up, but it's possible that, you know, I'm sure they could have gotten in, gotten into the first round easily with him, plus other assets. And they offered him a deal that they knew he wouldn't accept on July 1st, and now they're shopping him. Like, the whole thing has been short-sighted decision-making with, like, a thin veneer of PR over a desire to save Eugene Melnick money. And it just happens again and again and again. Like, all laughing at Sens fans aside, and again, like, I don't really, you know, they hate us. I think they wish, you know, a meteor would strike Toronto tomorrow. But... It's got to be really frustrating because they've been placed into an absolute no-win situation where nothing is being done for the benefit of the team. Um, and nothing seems like it's going to be. And, you know, they've had this Melnick out campaign, but it's not like they can compel Eugene Melnick to sell the franchise. Um, I've wondered if the league might at some point because he, there have been rumors that he doesn't have enough money to run it. Um, and that certainly seems likely. But, like, until then what's left of this franchise they're a husk yeah and going back even further like this situation with carlson is entirely of their own doing where mm -hmm. again they've they've it's like similar to the islanders they failed to build a consistent contender around um one of their best their best player ever they had that that run to the eastern conference finals that i think pretty much every fan who wasn't a fan of the senators kind of said you know what this is probably not as this, this is probably better than this team actually deserves. They, they got a bit lucky. They got a nice bracket. They got a lot of puck luck in that run. Oh, yeah. Um, and they've, they've, they've completely failed to build on it. And this is despite them having some really good players. It's, again, like, it's, like, it's like Florida to some degree where, you know, their stars are really, really good. They mm -hmm. have, like, three or four players, especially when Hawking was there. They have three or four players who I think, yeah, that could be the core of a really good team. But then everything behind them was pretty much trash. Yeah, and so, you know, they get killed whenever the second pairing was on the ice. I mean, you can go back a long way and watch these kind of deals. The Dion Phaneuf trade, for example, yeah. um, you know, they made that one. Very, very short-sighted. Yeah, they unloaded short-term dollars. They saved about $2 million in the short term. Um, they didn't even really save money in the long term. Um, and they took on Dion Phaneuf's contract, which they, you know, they got a couple of pretty lousy years out of him, where he kind of was not a very successful second pairing defenseman and flipped him for Marion Gaborik, who is like borderline unplayable at this point. And uh, they retained salary in that as well. Yeah, they did. But again, I would note Marion Gaborik has a lower dollar salary than his cap hit in the remaining years of the deal. Uh, significantly so as the deal goes on. Um, so, you know, 
there's not really an argument anymore that Eugene Melnick is seriously invested in building a winning team. Um, I don't think that, you know, there ever really was, but there's nothing left of it, if so. So, yeah, I don't see a scenario where the Sens are not a bottom 10 team for, like, the next four or five years, unless one of their goalies goes on an insane tear like the Hamburglar did and puts up 930. Like, that's all they have left. Yep, pretty much. That was good. That oh, was, like, man. very rewarding, was... actually, because, like, we just went in on them for, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> I think that was more than 10 minutes. I think that was like 20. <laughs> I had a lot of things um, that I wanted to say about the Sens. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are other teams that we should get to. Um, let's talk about, we're kind of just jumping around to teams that, you know, Fullman and I have discussed before as, hey, I mean, we should talk about them because they're, they're really funny to laugh at. <laughs> um, so let's go to, you know, our tried and true target, Jim Benning and the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know what? I, I think I... Took up a lot of airtime on uh, the, the Sens, who are kind of one of my favorite teams to laugh at. You really ought to get the ball rolling on the Canucks, because I think you are a Jim Benning expert. Okay, so I mean, so basically, the Canucks have, the Canucks have done some some things quite well under Jim Benning. Uh, I think they've unearthed some pretty good prospects in later rounds of the draft. This has been somewhat mitigated by the fact that they have under delivered on a couple very important top ten picks in Ola Ulevi and uh, Jake Vertanen. Mm-hmm. Um, Vertanen looks like he'll be a fine depth NHL player, but that's not what you want at sixth overall. Certainly not when eighth overall is William Nylander, when ninth overall is Nick Eaters, when 15th overall is Dylan Larkin, when 24th overall is David Pasternak, and so on. <laughs> uh, Olevi, the book is you know out on him, but the guy taken immediately after him was uh, Matthew Kachuk, who has put up a couple 50-point seasons as part of a very successful line in Calgary. Uh, other defensemen taking behind him include Mikhail Sergachev, who might be the centerpiece of an Eric Carlson deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie McAvoy, who was essentially the best defender on a top five team in the league. Uh, Sam Girard, who I, I don't know what Sam Girard's done, but he's probably he's been in the NHL, so probably more than Ole Uolevi. <laughs> but anyways, putting putting that aside, the Canucks they have a decent cabal of good prospects. Brock Besser looks incredible. Uh, Elias Pettersson lit up the SHL last year. They have kind of lesser prospects, but still good ones in uh, Adam Gaudet and Cole Lind and um, some youngish NHL prospects in Nikolai Goldobin. So the Canucks seem poised to be bad again this year like they have been the last three years. Um, so what should bad teams do? You know, it's very obvious. We, see, we saw the Leafs play this out to perfection. Trade players who, while they still have value, while not stripping down entirely, don't commit to depth signings and play your young stars in a way that they can be insulated um, from, you know, the insulated from the rigors of the NHL. And essentially, the Canucks have done none of those. Um, they've actually kind of done the opposite at every single point. Mm-hmm. They have refused to trade Chris Tanev, and as a result, they've seen his value dwindle because he, can, he gets older, less effective, and more injured. Um, now they're still kind of holding out hope for him that, oh, you know, maybe we can get something good for him. Well, Chris Tanev was an elite defensive defenseman two or three years ago. That's when he was taking on tough competition and coming out ahead. Now he just takes on tough competition. But the other half of that equation is, more, is far more important. He's no longer coming out ahead. He's no longer a good defensive defenseman. He's just a guy who gets used in these defensive situations. There's probably still something there, and he still does have a really good um, shot suppression uh, impact, but... At this point, he's 
he commands far less in a deal than he ever would have, and especially now as he's getting older and more injury prone. It, it seems unlikely that you're going to get a haul for him. So, I mean, w what purpose is he serving this roster? I guess to some extent he's uh, being that guy kind of insulating their, their young players, but when he's the only valuable veteran that you have, I feel like you have to get something good for him. Like, wh wh why not? Throughout this entire period that the Canucks have been bad, they have had an average amount of picks. They've had, I think, 21 picks over the last three years. That's exactly NHL average. That's mm -hmm. how much you are given. They have not acquired any uh, additional like net picks overall. Instead, they've chosen to add players like Brendan Leipzig, you know, like tweener NHLers. And a lot of the fans will say, hey, well, I mean, this guy, he's a young and he's a He's a young guy who could be an NHLer. That's similar to a draft pick. And it's not, because when you get the tweeners of the world, they lack the high-end upside that a sixth-round pick has. Yeah. And, and, you know, people overstate this to some point, where they're like, oh, you know, this, that sixth-round pick is a mystery box. It could be anything. But when you're comparing it to a guy who is probably not going to be a difference maker in the NHL, yeah, that sixth-round pick could be anything. The 0.001% chance that you get an actual good NHLer out of that it's so much more valuable than the 50% chance that Brendan Leipzig can play on your fourth line without embarrassing himself. This is the thing, is as players move forward, you get more and more information about them, and the chances that the league is wrong about their actual value uh, get smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, you'll get the rare case of Jonathan Marcheseau, but again, like that, there was a lot of value there for, I think, everyone to see uh, by his mid-20s. You know, the league has seen Brendan Leipzig. Uh, I don't believe he cleared waivers, but he was on the, the trade market for a pretty steep discount, and he's 24 now. I liked him. I wasn't happy to lose him in the expansion draft. But yeah, he's... I, I think Leipzig is a fine... He, he can probably play somewhere in your middle six, and he'll, he'll be all right. But yeah. he's just a guy. Yeah, exactly. And so in the sixth round, as you say, there's this outside, outside, outside chance uh, that you're going to get somebody. Uh, who might turn into something. And that's what you got to pursue. I think the mystery of the Canucks, and this has been defining the whole Jim Benning tenure, is how good do they think that they are? Because the whole time, I've been convinced that they're bad. I think, you know, most people have been convinced that they're bad. Most of the Canucks fans that, you know, or at least the smarter group of them have been convinced that they're bad. But they do things like signing Louis Erickson to that gross contract, um, for $6 million a year uh, by six years, I believe it was, um, going well into his 30s. Like, that's the kind of deal you make when you think you're a contender and when you think, okay, we got to sacrifice on the back half of the deal to add an impact player for these couple of seasons where we try and make a cup run. Um, again, they added Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle. Now, I mean, those guys have some utility, I guess. Why are you giving them four years? Are you not aspiring to be good four years from now? Are you not like, you know, these guys, if they decline even a little bit, in Beagle's case, they're not NHL caliber anymore. Yeah, like the, the Russell contract is problematic, but less problematic to me because I, I think he's actually at least decent right now. Yeah. But Beagle is like very close to being a replacement level player right now. Mm-hmm. And, you and know, any slip. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Any slippage from him, and he's no longer an NHL player, except you're still paying him to be an NHL player, and that is kind of problematic. Um, the thing I want to point out that, like, <laughs> yeah, like the, these 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 signings, um, a lot of Canucks fans are saying, hey, you know, the, these are the signings that insulate the the core. Uh, 
And I would say no. The, the players who insulate your core are good players. Having Nazem Kadri insulates your core. Mm-hmm. Having Jay Gardner insulates your core. Right? And you know, if there was an argument for trading for not trading Chris Tanev, that is it. As he's he's maybe the only guy who can still reasonably do that. But the Canucks are now in the situation where the they're entirely relying on their young guys to score. Yeah. Like that's right? the whole like, th- th- that you're not insulating them. You're sure you're giving them offensive zone stretch, but all of the pressure is on them. Whether you win or lose is entirely on your young guys because Jay Beagle's not helping you. Jay Beagle's not scoring. Right? So like if you've insulated them in, in, in a wrong way. You you haven't put good players beside them. You've just put depth players beside them who are more or less pretty similar across teams. It, this is exactly the Edmonton problem when Edmonton was like super, super crappy in the hall. Uh, era you know people were saying oh you know they rushed their prospects no their prospects were good the problem was the prospects were the only good part of the team the only good players on that team were taylor hall and ryan, ryan nugent hopkins yeah and you'll and notice Eberle. a lot of those guys upon leaving seemed mysteriously rejuvenated i mean taylor hall is the obvious example but you know justin schultz like as soon yeah. as he got to another team suddenly like we're, we're... sorry go ahead yeah, as, as soon as you as soon as you get to a team where you don't have to be the only thing going for them, where you can be a piece. They're, they're fine again. They're not the problem. And that's exactly what the Canucks organization doesn't seem to understand, is that like, they're, they're not, they're not, they don't have the pieces around these core players to actually help them and insulate them and produce a winner right now. Right? And that's fine yeah. if you're trying to be bad this season. But then if you're trying to be bad this season, why are you signing these guys, these depth players for so much money? It doesn't matter what depth players you get because you're going to be bad. There are, there are players besides Jay Beagle who can teach your roster about the values of working hard. Exactly. Like This is the, kind of the crux of the situation. If they're supposed to be good, they're not. If it's okay if they're bad, why are you giving them four-year contracts? Like This is the thing. Do you not aspire to be good? And this is a similar argument about the New York Islanders. I have a little bit more sympathy uh, for Lou coming in the Islanders because there was about $25 million in mostly bad contracts committed for four years before he got there. The Canucks, aside from Louis Erickson, um, could have been free and clear of all bad deals uh, four years from now. The only deal, uh, the other deal was Bo Horvat, who I think is a perfectly fine player. And he's no, 23. That, that's like... That- yeah, that's a good deal. Like, it, yeah. Horvat's fine. So it's like, why are you clouding up your cap sheet when you should be aspiring to be good? You know, I don't think that you should be planning on a five-year rebuild unless you have no other choice. In which case, no, it's not the end of the world, maybe, but a $6 million cap hit down the drain in 2021-22 for what? For these two, these two guys who are, you know, good in the room and get to work hard and help your team get the 27th overall. As for Chris Tanev, I just want to note, um, the recurring problem for the Canucks has been that they haven't drafted defensemen of, like, a star caliber. I mean, Yoel Levy was supposed to be, and it doesn't look like he's going to be. And they have, uh, uh, was it uh, Bouchard they picked up? Um, they, uh, no, Quinn, Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes, right. So they picked a very fine defenseman this draft, so maybe. But right now, like, the guy who's second behind Chris Tanev in the Vancouver death chart, who is, I guess, presumably being insulated is Eric Goodbranson, who they have, like, this crazy ongoing love yeah, affair with the, the, where they who, pay him, who, like, twice what he's worth. Yeah, it's... I, 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 just don't, I just don't get it. Like, 
if you were going to commit to being bad, then you should have traded Tana a while back and then bottomed out. And then, you know, in the last few years, you would have been able to build up some decent NHLers to, you know, to supplement your core. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to be good, you've like failed horrifically at that because you've been the worst team in the league over the last three seasons. So yeah. I, I don't get what they're doing. It, it it just seems like an it just seems like an unforced error. Like, you know, people can say, "Oh, it's market rate for Roussel and and Beagle because that's the UFA market." You know, we have to pay those guys because we're a bad team. They they don't want to come here unless we overpay them. Then don't overpay them. There are <laughs> other players out there, and that's... the obvious answer is like, "Well, who? Nick Shore. Nick Shore is twenty five years old. He's a UFA right now. You can he, get him for a million has... dollars and a year, easy, easily." Yeah, I'd be shocked if he signs for more term or more years. Maybe you want him for like two years, two million, because he might he'll probably overperform that contract. Yeah, and you get it. Like this is the thing is that from a certain perspective, if you have job security, which somehow Benning apparently does, it's kind of freeing not to have to be a good team. And the Canucks have shown no sign that they're actually taking advantage of that. If you commit with a plan to saying, we're going to be bad, we're going to rebuild, we're going to go about this a very particular way, then you can, I think, sell a rebuild to a fan base, certainly. Uh, but I think, even I if think you fans can, are smarter about that than, than owners give them credit for. They may not, support, they may not like, pay for tickets, that's the thing. But like, yeah. they're not going to pay for tickets when it's January and you're you know, 26th in the league anyways. Yeah, that's the thing is it's a, a rebuild is upon them whether they would risk it or not. You know, it's like it's not like you were finishing, you know, 15th. Otherwise, the Canucks have been a bottom five team. Um, yeah, I think if you care that much about getting these old guys who have veteran, get Matt Stage in. He's a UFA. He's 34 years old. Yeah. Like he, he'll, he'll, he'll play on your fourth line. Get Joel Ward. He's still around, probably. Yeah. I mean, one assumes. And the other thing is that if you get if you have these guys on one year deals, you can flip them. Possibly, if any of them overperforms, you can get yeah, something. You, you can probably. The other thing they haven't, they yeah. haven't done a good job. Of. They, they've signed a lot of depth guys to term deals. I think Sam Gagne was was one of them. And then as yeah. a result, teams didn't want them. Yeah, so because he still got two years on his contract. Where it's like you could have sold him as a rental to somebody, and you know you come yeah. out with a third, fourth pick, and that goes back to what you mentioned. They have exactly as many picks as the average team gets um, going in. There is, and, and now. Yeah. Sorry. sorry, this is another sort of weird point. Now they kind of have a weird roster crunch with forwards where they ha- they have like uh, quite a few contracts. So they have a lot of a lot of forwards who are presumably they need to be on the roster otherwise they're just kind of wasting you're just wasting their their value really. Like you, why yeah. why are they even on why do you even sign them if they're not going to be on your roster? Except like the players who they're pushing down are now like they're they're pseudo prospects. Guys like Adam Gaudet might start the league or start the year in in the AHL instead of in the NHL because they need to play Marcus Granlund. Yeah, I I mean, and this actually does tie into something that I just find kind of funny about Jim Benning. Jim Benning is the most like sincere and like unguarded general manager in the NHL, like the opposite of Lou Lamorello, who will never tell you what he's thinking if you put a gun to his head. Jim Benning just narrates his inner monologue for you if you ask him to. He's already been burned once for saying he was going to try, and I think it was P.K. Saban or something he was going to look and trade for. And, you know, he got a tampering fine. But regarding uh, Leipzig and I think Gadet and something, he gave a quote, which I pulled up here, that says, If I can't move them, we'll have to wave them and send them down. I guess that's the worst case scenario. Of course, I'd try to move them first. And if I could recapture a draft pick or something, I'd look to do that. 
If I couldn't, I guess we'd have to wave the mace on the town. And it's like, like, this is fine, and, like, maybe other GMs know you're over a barrel, but, like, what kind of bargaining position is that to go in with? It's like, I hope I get a draft pick, otherwise I'll probably just have to wave them. Hey, would you like to pay for these guys who I've said, if I can't get a pick, I'll make available for free? Like... It's just, it's it, unreal it's, to me that this is how he operates. It makes absolutely no sense at all. I, 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 and the weird part is, like, there's a very sizable contingent of Canucks fans who are like, oh, yeah, this, this is smart. You have, you have to pay over the odds for, for Jay Beagle. Um, no, no lie. I saw a Canucks fan on, on Reddit a few days ago. It was, like, in this thread about uh, Alex Semin. He It was, like, a video of him scoring a hat trick. Mm. And, like, at the bottom of the thread, there was this guy who was basically, he, he said, and no, no one had replied to this comment. <laughs> um, thankfully, because it would probably would have started a firefight. But he says something to the effect of like, you know, I don't think the Capitals win the the cup this season if they have Alex Semin uh, instead of Jay Beagle. It's like, and presumably he meant prime Alex Semin because the video was of Alex Semin scoring a hat trick in like 2008 when he was one of the best players in the world. Yeah, and it's like that is absurd to me. Like, how, how can someone think that? How can someone think that? You know what? This point per game player who is possibly defensively frail. But like, still, you know, has a positive plus minus, positive coursey, positive everything, is less valuable to their team than than Jay Friggin Beagle. Jay Beagle was so valuable that Washington played only ten minutes a game. They didn't want to wear him out because he's that valuable. <laughs> but man, those ten minutes, he was. Oh, it's it's, it's like in uh, it's like in in Pokemon where like you have a crap load of full restorers, but you just keep using super potions because you don't want to use the full restorers in case you really need them later. <laughs> exactly. But, but it's like the. But it's like the Elite Four. <laughs> you're still you're still only using. <laughs> but what if something comes up later? Yeah, I mean exactly. I, and I think honestly, people misremember. I was talking about this, and I'm gonna wax poetic briefly about how good Alex Simon was in his prime. People think that you know, like, and he he fell apart. He had a wrist injury, which kind of did him in. Alex Simon in his prime had the best wrist shot in the NHL. I firmly believe that he was deadly. I remember watching one game. Uh, I was with a couple of buddies and uh, this friend of mine was heading off to teaching Korea. And so we were all just watching and drinking beers and Alex Simmons scored a hat trick and hit two posts all with laser wrist shots. Like if you would rather have Jay Beagle's eight points in 23 games playing 10 minutes a night in the playoffs. And by the way, that's Jay Beagle on a hot streak. Like that's Jay Beagle playing, you know, peak Jay Beagle hockey. He was 22 points in the regular season. I don't know what to tell you anymore. And you know, a lot of people are going to believe it because they say, well, look, the Caps won. They didn't win with Alex Simon. But that is like the epitome of what they call in logic, uh, post hoc ergo propter hoc. Something happened after something, so therefore it was because of something. Like, it's just, if you operate on this principle and you give a four-year deal to Jay Beagle and, you know, a three-year deal to Sam Gagne and all of this sort of stuff, you end up where the Canucks are, which is, you might eventually find your way out of this uh, of this rebuild because you'll keep drafting high, but you and, and are prolonging they're, they're, it. Their prospects are good, but yeah. They are. And you know what? In the end, if they start hitting on all their draft picks, uh, it may not matter. You can survive mm-hmm. a certain number of mistakes. But the reality is, is that they are muddling around by still not really picking a path. They're not taking advantage of the opportunity to do a full rebuild. And they're not doing anything that's actually going to make them good. So, you know, the result is that they're kind of chasing their tails and then narrating it to the press and then getting fined for tampering. So that's uh, that's kind of the size of Vancouver right now. Yeah, fun times. Um, <laughs> all right, so we're nearing the 90-minute mark. We should probably cut it off here. Okay. Uh, 
I guess we should quickly plug your your piece tomorrow about uh, why the Leafs shouldn't trade Jake Gardner. I, I've read it already. Uh, it's one of the benefits of work, working at these sorts of sites. You get to read things early and then, you know, sanctimoniously plug them on podcasts. You know, that, that's the real love of the game there. Um, but it is a good piece, and I think it, it kind of it, – it's been a hot-button issue among Leaf fans. And I, I think given the context of who Jake Gardner is – and what he is likely to return in a trade, I think it makes a pretty compelling case that we shouldn't trade him. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I won't try and spoil it. I will just say, again, it's not enough to say you want to trade Jake Gardner because he makes you annoyed. That's how bad teams do business. You have to find a trade that another team would accept, and that makes the Leafs better. And I don't think you can realistically do that. So you'll see the full case laid out, but I imagine that I'm going to irritate somebody on Twitter by saying stop trying to trade Jake Gardner. So keep an eye out for that. Yep, and you can find all my stuff on pension10puppets.com as well. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at RVARVI and at ATFuleman. That's it for this episode. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening.